Hello, friends, and welcome to World Build With Us, the podcast where we create fantastical worlds with help from you, our listeners. My name is Rob Hilferty. I'm here with my co-hosts, Daniel Quinn, Courtney Staples, and Christopher Prunty. On today's episode, we have a new prompt from listener Kaiser. You might remember his name from our Battle Train series, and we have a pseudo-sequel in today's prompt, which sounds a little bit like this. Kaiser wants us to build what is essentially a water world with World War I slash World War II naval technology. Uh, He also wants the setting to be somewhat realistic with no magic. And the conflict is between several factions that we will come up with that are fighting over something, which we will also come up with. When it comes to weapons, he says, please stick to conventional methods. So no solar ray guns. uh, And there are no, there are only humans. So no giant aphids, no dwarves. I swear I did not personally add that in there. That's in the prompt that you can read. Everyone here agrees. He would also like for us to create a flagship for at least one of the factions. And I think that we can do that. Uh, Remember that if you want us to build your world, like we're building Kaisers here, you can go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com, and you can click on the little button that says submit a prompt and we will build your prompt live on the podcast. You can always uh, email us and tell us how great we're doing over at worldbuildwithus at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us at Let's World Build, or you can uh, join our community on Discord. Or if you're feeling particularly generous, you can always give us money over on Patreon. Link for all of those in the descriptions. So with all of the preamble out of the way, who wants to start us off with a tenet? One question here. Doesn't doesn't he also mention that cybernetics are okay? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Transhumanism <laughs> is okay. I see. I'm curious as to how that tracks when we're only doing World War One and <laughs> two Sounds like he has a little hole in his battleship. Uh, okay. Uh <laughs> I'm I'm already very curious to see where you're going with this, Daniel. So start us off here. And so my tenet is, as a result of the post-apocalypse, only a select few understand the workings of these technologies and the knowledge they have is wrapped up in religious mystery. Okay, that sounds pretty cool. I like that already. So you're essentially saying that the tech that fuels a lot of this is essentially... Sp- uh, guarded by techno priests is what I'm hearing. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Understood. The Mechanicum. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Nice. I like that name. Uh, and I'm I'm already I, I can already see the clear line that you're going to be taking with the transhumanism aspect. So. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, who want uh, Chris? What was your second tenet? Uh. Honestly, though, I'm surprised Daniel didn't go with Battleship Girls, but I also understand his hatred of anime. Uh, my tenant was going to help reconcile the fact that uh, airships would decimate battleships. I want there to be some sort of constant prevailing dust storms or uh, shards in the air that just makes airplane impractical. Oh, so nice. I actually have the exact same tenant, except... It's really hard to do dust storms when there's no physical land. So that—that's what I was trying to like. You could still have land. The land is just inhospitable. Like, right. No one I, can live there. 
I had it so the ecosystem is racked with constant powerful windstorms that make flying airplanes incredibly dangerous. So mm -hmm. much like you, I feel like in order to square the kind of idea that we're only dealing with ships as opposed to airplanes, we have to take ships, uh, we have to take airplanes out of the equation somehow. And uh, I, I had just like incredibly powerful windstorms that would basically shear the wings off of planes that just kind of come up randomly, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. If you did it at the fact that this is post-apocalyptic, you could have that maybe the debris uh, and detris of other things that are super light and super thin just get picked up from the ocean and then turn into a razor-like storm. So yeah. you're saying that Sharknadoes are canonical in the setting? Sharknadoes! I, I think that's what you're going after. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's scientifically based. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do want to try and push back against Sharknadoes because no, there's no, no magic. Yeah. So if you can come up with a scientific reason for Sharknadoes to exist, I would love to hear it. Razor storms, I think, is it's like a storm of shark teeth. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the tagline for it's like uh, deathbed, the bed that eats people. Yes. I mean, yeah. you could have the whatever land masses still exist are really just piles of, of metal rubble from mm. some post-apocalyptic war. And these storms lift the rubble up and create these horrific, um, you know, hurricanes of, of metal and steel. Mm -hmm. So I like the idea of them being rust storms. Uh, so it can be like, it could also jam long range communications as well oh, because yeah. of these shards of metal that are in the storms as well. Plus because dust can crumb or because rust can crumble and become dusty. I think that we can actually square the dust storms that Chris had come up with as well. So I think that is a really good point. Also do want to point out that none, nowhere in the prompt does it say anything about post-apocalypse, but I like how all of our brains simultaneously like this has to be a post-apocalyptic post situation because what else would it be? I mean, he did specify essentially Waterworld and Waterworld mm. was a post-apocalyptic movie. So Right, but, yeah. but <laughs> I, I, okay, I hear you, but at the same time, Waterworld doesn't necessarily have to be post-apocalyptic. We could have created a Waterworld where the 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 ships are just world war one and world war two tech mm -hmm. you know it's I, I i hear you but at the same time I mean, it not makes necessarily narrative sense because um i don't i don't i don't see how you could somehow be stalled at world war one or two tech um and then also have if this is the earth and also have a ecological situation where we only have water left <laughs> without yeah, yeah. something going dramatically wrong and if you Absolutely. want cybernetics and everything, it allows for certain advancements in other areas and certain stagnation in others. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree. I just wanted to make sure that we're squaring that concept as well, because, mm -hmm. you know, it's it, nowhere within the prompt is it explicitly post-apocalyptic. You know? Yeah. 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 Um, so because Chris basically did one of my tenets, I wanted to, I had to back up just in case. And because of these powerful windstorms, I actually wanted to make it so wind energy is actually a really big and prominent thing. Because mm -hmm. when you have constant windstorms, whether they be rust, dust, or otherwise, I think that harnessing the wind and creating some kind of electro 
uh, tech is a natural progression for where we want to go. Granted, it's not really, you know, like World War One slash two tech. However, we had windmills and I imagine that we can have these just be like updated World War Two windmills, that type of thing, mm-hmm. you know, not necessarily full on turbine energy, but still. So we're harnessing the storm energy? We are, yes. Just like just like in our ride the lightning, we also are we're harnessed it. So we're riding the lightning in the train setting. We need a cool like surfing the wind type situation <laughs> over here, but like cooler than that, obviously. We'll we'll have to come up with that come part two, I'm sure. No, I, th- I think that's cool because then um you can like you've created another sort of resource beyond what I imagine is what gasoline. Right. Because Do we have because nuclear like, power? Yeah, like gas, mm-hmm. coal, and nuclear are all like fairly limited. But again, you have so much wind at your disposal, like with these constant windstorms. It only makes sense that people are going to be like, we should do something with all this wind, like, mm-hmm. right? Like it, it, it seems like a natural conclusion to where we would want to go with it. And speaking of natural, we have a natural segue to Courtney's tenant. <laughs> Courtney, <laughs> Courtney, what is your tenant going to be? Um, so it, it's going to need some reconciliation with your um, wind power tenant. But I had in mind um, in the prompt Kaiser brought up uh, that the factions are fighting over something that we have to come up with. And I was thinking, um, since fuel is going to be so valuable for ships, um, basically a giant oil rig fortress in the mm-hmm. ocean, um, which maybe that's like the sort of home of one of the more powerful factions that others are mm. trying to get at. Um, but I could also see it housing some of that wind, wind turbines that you were talking about. Um, and also being potentially like a, a major hub for trade, um, sharing of mm. knowledge, that sort of thing, and probably um, protection from those horrible windstorms or the rest storms. Mm. Okay. So your tenant, just to be clear, is the thing that we're fighting over is this base, correct? Yes. Yep. Correct. Okay. All right. Uh, I don't know what it is with this tenet, or maybe it's just really limited, or maybe I'm just really just kind of basic. But my second tenet, uh, besides the other one that I had as a backup, is actually the thing all of these factions are fighting for, fighting over, is not resources. Mm-hmm. So I think that squares. I think that that definitely can work. I think that we should give it some additional like uh meaning or some additional value outside of it's just a city that everyone wants Mm -hmm. right just thinking i mean we talked about how the storms would be interrupting long-term communications maybe this place has like some extremely powerful radar radar or radio something to that effect where it can still communicate Mm. out during these storms that's actually kind of interesting because it implies like, okay, who, if, if anyone's seen the warriors, we all know the importance of like that radio DJ, you know, as they're giving information out over the airwaves. I like the idea that this is the one place that has a radio that's powerful enough for half of the world or most of the Mm -hmm. known world to know it because one, you control information, you control, you know, propaganda and you control, Mm -hmm entertainment as well which is actually really huge you know 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that kind of gets ignored a lot of the time in world building as far as like what people do as hobbies or what they do when they're not, I don't know, working or what have you. Oh, totally agreed. I mean, the fact that like everyone in all assumed worlds are basically always grittily, like gritting their teeth and adventuring or like fighting in a war and none of them are having any fun is absolutely something that comes up in world building. Like, mm-hmm. abs- yeah, I-, I agree with that entirely. Um, I was also think that the, I mean, if, if, Daniel has that kind of religious bent. There could be some kind of religious aspect to it as well, but we might want to keep those separate. I don't know. Um, Does anyone have an additional tenet that might track with what we're going with so far? I just had a question. Is your, um, is this location stationary? I had it in mind that it was like it, maybe it had been built as an oil rig previously, but it's been slowly kind of warped over time to be this multi-purpose thing. So yeah, stationary. That's actually particularly interesting in a world where like there is constant like waves and movement and Mm -hmm. everything like that. The idea that there is a fixed point compared to the rest of the world is also pretty interesting. I mean, for all intents and purposes, this is basically the the magnetic equivalent of of north, right? Like where you are is all dependent based on where you are in relation to this particular point. Mm hmm. So it's, you're saying it's like become a new pole. That's what we, I'm thinking. Yeah. We could even call it Polaris. Oh. If we wanted to go that route. Neat. Isn't that the North Star? Yeah. <laughs> uh, n- see, now I'm, you say this and I know it's supposed to be about the, the ships and everything, but now I just want to build Polaris as a city <laughs> more than, more than anything else. But what I if mean, it's a, what if it was a flagship? But it's a stationary, like permanently moored or permanently. Yeah, like anchored. maybe it was a flagship mm. and they built it into a base. That way we could do the flagship thing with people on it. Oh, yeah. oh they were, that's a great yeah. way to reconcile. Yeah, it could that. be stuck yeah. on a, a sandbar or mm-hmm. the most shallow part. Uh, I don't think it'd be a sandbar because the tides would move and shift the sandbar eventually, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I like the idea that it's kind of grounded on something. That's kind of interesting. Oh. I mean, we still could stick with the oil rig idea, but over time, like they grafted stuff to it, yeah. kind of like um, the sort of ocean city in the scar by China Mayville. Ooh. Yeah, I was I, I had that in mind as well, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah, um, I, I don't know why. I like the idea that this ship has run aground on the top of a mountain or like that's how it started, you know, mm-hmm. because it needs something to kind of build a foundation around. Right. Mm-hmm. Because uh, because otherwise, why would it stay in a in a particular position? Like, what's keeping it there, with all of the tides and with everything else that's going around? Right? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Okay, we've got a lot. We've got a great framework so far. Uh, who has tenets left that they want to tell us about? Mine I have, but I want it to also not be universal that everyone's doing it. Okay. Because it's seen as a bit of a taboo. Oh, okay. I want it to be with the uh, transhumanistic uh, aspect of it that there's certain people who are integrating themselves into the systems of the ship itself. Uh, Interesting. Okay. So you're so dedicated to your ship or 
anything that you effectively become one of the gun emplacements or something. So like a cybernetic um, connection, is it, do you see them as grafted into the ship or they're like connecting themselves to it cybernetically? I see it as cybernetically. Like uh, there could even be like a hub where they're all kept or I think strategically it would make more sense to spread it out throughout the ship. This way there's not like one area you want to aim for. Mm-hmm. Mm. So what would this look like? Okay, so you said you wanted to keep it taboo, right? Yeah. So what about it is taboo? Why is it taboo? And what can we do to explore that kind of relationship? You're losing a lot of your individuality, for one. Uh, I feel like it is absolutely permanent. And if you try and break break out of it or, like, you no longer can even... Uh, kind of disobey orders being a servitor or something that's attached to the ship. It's not that great. So I guess you could see it as how about instead of an option, it's a punishment. So, Mm -hmm. so I I really like the direction that we're going here and make uh, that you answered one of my questions in advance, which is why the hell would anyone sign up for this? thing If that were the case. Um, but it also brings up another question, which is, um, if these are, if this is a punishment, why is the human component necessary? And secondly, what's preventing some kind of, uh, a cyborg from turning the guns on their own people who they've been punished by? I have a feeling there's some connection to the religious component of this. Since the, I was thinking that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, their, their technology, this technology is, is religious. So so, Daniel, you'd prefer it to be like a, a fanatical religious aspect to it where you're giving yourself over to the ship by like being a protector of it, essentially, right? Um, I mean, it doesn't have to be fanatical, but sure, that sounds interesting. No one gives their lives without a certain level of fanaticism, Daniel. I don't I mean, so it's anymore. true. I believe all those religious people are willing to give their lives for Christ or fanatical, but yeah. it's just me. <laughs> I, you're not alone, I assure you. Um, so, so we have, we, we've kind of squared that, right? I think so. I think it'll make sense the more we kind of figure it out. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, well, what else can we do to kind of, uh, is, is there anything, is there anything else that you had in mind, Chris, or is this kind of the going in the direction that you had in mind? It's going in the direction that I had in mind, but, uh, to also add it, to the fact that say you're running out of uh, devotees and want to literally punish someone as opposed to someone who's volunteering for like a self flogging kind of thing, you could have it that uh, once again, it's limiting your capabilities. So think of it as like a computer. You can give yes or no answers to something or do a set run of tasks. You can't really like turn the guns out on the ship because that's not part of the firing arc. Hmm. Okay. So uh, again, let's, let's try and answer this question then. Why is the human component necessary here? Well, you you did say that there's a bit of collective consciousness involved. Could there be some part of this in that they're not just controlling their ship, but they're perhaps coordinating a bunch of like a fleet and that's why they need to be connected 
like if we're trying to figure a need or what's the need for the technology maybe mm -hmm. it's about coordinating the fleet not the individual ship ah we were going over about how communication was very hard what if this allows uh -huh. for the short range communication instantaneously yeah. as yeah. granted this could just be fixed by flags but well, this you can't is much see flags in a storm <laughs> i mean in a storm yeah, that's super um, thick yeah. you know yeah. Or, the, or the shutter lights. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I, maybe, maybe like, because we want to keep the technology not futuristic, right? So perhaps we can select. And again, this is where I want to take a little side note here. This is where a real writer's room would have World War experts at their disposal. Because then I would ask the experts and say, hey, what shortwave technology existed in, in this period that we could graft onto our right. fictional cybernetic circuit board? So that the the means of communication still follows the rules, but the invention here is the cybernetic board that interfaces with the brain because cybernetics was allowed. Right, and from my very brief research and knowledge of this type of uh, era, like we didn't start seeing like sophisticated technology on ships until about late 44, 45 into the future. So, you know, like the, I think, and, and especially if we're keeping it into World War One and World War Two, like stuff like radar and short field communication is going to be extremely limited based on the prompt that we have right now, you know? Yeah. So then we've got to like say, okay, the the invention, the fiction of this is this network. That's the one give go gimme that we're basically asking for in suspension of disbelief. So it's like we're trying to say we have this level of technology and here's the little leap we have in the context of the story. So I'm hoping mm. that's the way we can pull it off, you know? Yeah. I also think that the idea of not having to communicate with so many different people all at once is actually a huge advantage. Looking mm. at something like an Iowa class ship, it takes like anywhere between 70 to a hundred and some odd crew members just to make sure that that one particular ship is operating at like full capacity. So if you if you have one of those that takes, you know, anywhere between 10 and 20 crew members, you know, you have one person who's cybernetically linked into this battleship. And instead of having to have all of these crew members do different things, they're targeting and they're they're taking up the the equivalent of 10 to 12 people or 10 to 20 people. That that can be a huge boom. Mm -hmm. And those people can then be doing something else elsewhere on the ship. So it could just be like a logistical issue, you know, where it's it's just a matter of, hey, if we have one person do this thing, it's just it's saving a lot of time and space and efficient. It's just more efficient is what I'm trying to get at here. Yeah, I like going that route because it does seem like I feel like in this setting, there wouldn't be a major population overall. There probably wouldn't <laughs> be that many kids being born. Just doesn't really seem like the setting predisposes us to that but um but yeah i like that route see that that actually kind of brings up an interesting question courtney as well is i imagine that the battleships that we're talking about is that strictly a military thing or is that like all human life are on these battleships because i was thinking as well like doing a little mm -hmm. bit of naval research and by naval i mean you know wikipedia um that you can have up to like 6,000 people on some of the more modern like cruise ships and stuff like that. So are these battleships that we're talking about, are they like running, um, you know, like running a naval blockade? Are they running 
like kind of protection duty for civilian ships? Because I think that's something that we would probably have to answer in order for us to kind of square the rest of it. Like, are these battleships strictly military or are they also like, this is where life is, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like it would have to be um, some just like civilian ships. And like you said, maybe that is a reason for all these battleships going around is that they are protecting their people. Mm -hmm. Um, It's essentially like a country, but moving in the ocean rather than a stationary spot on land. Very Battlestar Galactica remake, which Mm. I think is kind of (laughs) neat. Oh, yeah. yeah. I could definitely see a flotilla of ships, but more apt for using like a crew. Well, yeah, they had cruise ships. Yeah, they were cruise ships. Yeah. I was thinking as well, like what would, what might be interesting is like from a visual perspective, these battleships are so massive, like just in real life, these things are so massive that, realistically, you could essentially create floating castles, right? That are protecting. So like the the battleships themselves are moving castle walls and within them are what you're trying to protect, which are the civilian population. I would also imagine that the civilian population are also trying to like gather food and other resources and create something outside of just the constant hellscape that is war. Yeah, they would have to have some way to like farm on board or do something mm-hmm. with like algae or kelp, I imagine. Yeah, overfishing, yeah. I imagine, would be like punishable by death because mm, it's like yeah. literally, you know, controlling populations more so than others, mm-hmm. other food production. I mean, uh, do we have any more tenants? I feel like we have Daniel, I believe you have a, a one tenant left. Is that correct? Yes, I have All one right. more as well, but you can go first, Daniel. Oh, okay. okay. Sorry, Daniel, go ahead. Hit us with that last tenet that you have. It's funny that you raised the question, Courtney, about um, childbirth, because my tenant um, says that this, whatever this toxic environment is that they live in, has led to mass infertility. Mm-hmm. And most people are either unable to breed or their offspring are born with like severe life-threatening defects that makes viability like difficult for most people. Ooh, um, yeah. So that's a possible way of restraining the population. Question. Are those people who are who are born with these, you know, like tremendous birth defects, why aren't those people the first ones to go into the cybernetic? <gasps> yes. Uh, as soon as yeah. you were saying that, I'm like, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Maybe they're like <laughs> defects of a certain kind. And so they're actually suitable for this technology. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the cult, the religious cult wants to further their their existence. Oh, okay. Okay. How about it's like, how about these, these like cybernetic implants are essentially iron lungs and Mm. that's why they're strapped in all the time. It's because like, look, you're going to be trapped here anyway, as a stationary person, you don't really have a life to begin with. Why not do your duty, you know, like provide a service for your people and you'll continue to live. Keep Mm -hmm. the grid alive. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That also makes it less kind of like the futuristic or modern view of cyberpunk and more like meat in a can kind of cyberpunk. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And and that's, that's also partially why I wanted to keep it like that. So now it's not like we're jacking into the web. It's like, no, you're (laughs) stuck in a fucking iron lung. Red light beep, eye load canister. (laughs) Yes. It's like only, it's like binary kind of interface. There's very little Mm. data or information. Very very primitive to us. Uh It switches. Just basic switches. You want your nutrient paste today? Then load the shells faster. (laughs) (laughs) It's horrifying. 
Although to be fair, I actually, it's funny you should mention the shells, Chris. I think that loading shells in particular is something that would still have to be done by like physical crew people. I Mm. think that that's something that because the technology that we're working with, I can't see that being automated, you know? When are we, are we saying mainly that the cybernetic interface is really about communicating between ships? It doesn't really do much for the actual ship. What do you mean? Coordination. What, what, what do you mean by that, Daniel? Can you like, it seems like we were saying that the um, people who are hooked into these things, like it's not like they're controlling parts of the ship. They're, meant to bolster a larger fleet network in order to communicate through the storm. So that's their way, it's their communication system. Sort of. Oh, I was, I was thinking just communication within the ship itself, like oh, okay. to, to ensure that everything goes well on one individual ship requires a massive amount of crew people just, mm-hmm. just through communication and physically moving munitions and other supplies around. It takes a huge crew and to reduce that, to to cut that down, is it makes you safer and it makes everything more so efficient. So you see them as like a ship's computer, basically. Like they're yes, able to they're living computers, essentially, is what they are. And I, I would even say that you would probably need more than one to communicate within one ship. Okay. Because if we're talking about particular battleships, right, these are typically 900 feet long. So even with like a living computer inside and trapped in these iron lungs, I'm imagining that there you probably need four to six of them just for a single ship to run efficiently. Oh, idea. Um, Go ahead. The, the oil rig base, I imagine it also has these people on it and I imagine it has a lot of them. And I wonder mm-hmm. if um, the more you have, the more range you have to communicate. So when you approach... Um, the oil rig thing at a certain distance, your ships are able to communicate with it because there's so many of those interface people on it. It's like a psychic hive mind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so when people speak, they're all speaking at once or something like that. Mm -hmm. That is fucking horrifying. And I'm too, I'm totally into (laughs) it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that sounds amazing. I like that. They're also saying such mundane things. It's still horrifying. (laughs) Just like you are approved for docking bay three. Uh Yeah. It's a chorus of people. Chris horror is found in mundanity. Let's be real. Like you, like that's really where the deep, deep horror comes from when you're, when you're like, you're facing existence and it's a paperclip that's scarier Mm -hmm. than a fucking knife edge. I swear to you. I will show you fear in a handful of dust. There you go. I mean, this is also complicated by the fact that these um, interfaced people are children, or at least were. Ooh, yeah. That's true. They, they've essentially, all they've ever known is this life it, within mm-hmm. the Iron Lung, right? Yeah. Okay. okay. There's something similar to that in um, N.K. Jemison's The Fifth Season. But it, it's worse in the fifth season, I would say. But definitely similar vibes. Worse as in more horrifying? Or as yes. in just like, okay, gotcha. Yes. <laughs> uh, I imagine that that's some kind of massive spoiler that we don't want to let out. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I guess we could we could leave it, leave it okay. out. Okay. Yeah. With that in mind, Courtney, you have your final tenant left. So why don't you start us off and bring us into the apocalypse? Go ahead. Sure. So, uh... To add 
another like horrific element to the environment itself. Um, I was thinking that naval mines would be a key part of defensive like walls essentially oh yeah um and but kind of going back to how we talked about these horrible storms and um kind of everything being moved around and um i'm wondering if like the mines are more of a thing of the past that have now been sort of banned or are now looked down upon if you use them just because of how mm. much damage they can cause um because if you just leave one it could end up being like picked up by a huge storm and like slamming into some innocent civilian ship or mm. something like that. That's a really good point. Do we want to also make that umbrella into submersibles or like su submarines as well? Yeah. Because, like maybe yeah. like submarines are essentially like illegal because of how effective and how deadly they can be to these giant ships. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. Like can I like we added a religious element to that. How? Um, so I'm wondering if the submarines, because I, I get banning them would make sense, but how do you do that? So I'm wondering maybe um, there's something about submarines that's connected to their religion, and there's a reason why they don't do it too because of that, beyond it being dangerous. Just maybe it's some sort of um, superstition about like the nature of being underwater or oh, secretive. Yeah. Like there's okay. there's some superstition around that. I like that because then it's like it's not only the law because it seems like a kind of world that's hard to to, to police. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know I mean? yeah, yeah. But, but the self-policing of religion is effective. So I, I think that there is something to be said there, Daniel, because I, I don't necessarily think that we need a superstitious element to this because we have nuclear weapons in our own timeline, but we don't really use them for, you know, reasons that are you know, if if one person started using them, everyone would start using them. It's mutually assured to self-destruction, right? Were we talking about submarines or nuclear weapons? Submarines. But I'm suggesting okay. that in this world, submarines are no different than nuclear weapons. Like there's a reason that we don't use them. And it's because we don't want to destroy ourselves in the process. I guess I just don't see how they'd be that dangerous unless it's because they can explode. <laughs> so. Submarines are notorious ship killers. Like they are the, they, besides planes, they are the most dangerous thing. They got, they got America into world war one through the sinking of the Lusitania. Like they are incredibly dangerous to ships and they are like, are you seeing them as like, because um, because they can the ship is basically like a continent now. So taking the ship down is like killing tons of people. So in a sense, yeah. the submarine is a weapon of mass destruction. Exactly. Okay. And and I think that when you look at the submarine and how deadly and how it how effective it is, I think that the floating nations of the world look at that and they've all made a kind of like gentleman's agreement not to use this technology because it would mean mm -hmm. that everyone would die. So I like I like that I definitely buy that. I guess the what I would those gentlemen though, and this is usually the case I think with religions, is that they they cloak their um, strategic practical concerns in mm -hmm. religious ideology to to reinforce them. So I could see those gentlemen saying among each other, we can't use these because they're weapons of mass destruction and we live on these boats. But to the people at large, um, creating a faith about that, you know, which is what Cordy was suggesting, like in terms of yeah. them being. You know, the the deep is 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 dangerous, and you know like, we don't 
trust the waters. I yeah, like something about like, if you go too deep, like something down there will change you and you'll mm -hmm. no longer be like a real human. Uh, wow, I think that's really a sex negative message that we don't have to send I actually like how this could then make, because assuming that this is a post-apocalyptic world as we mm -hmm. have been, there were nations or people who were on submarines and they're not just going to be like, all right, screw it. I guess uh, submarines aren't cool now, which means I feel like there would be a whole other faction that is nothing oh, but yeah. submarines yes. that don't want to be hunted oh, to extinction. Right. Yeah, right. I mean... I was thinking like this opens up um, a door for like a pirate kind of faction. I'm sorry, or... did you say that again? <laughs> Ooh, with, with the diving suits, dwarf diving suits. I'm on board. They're not dwarves though. They're just tiny to fit on subs. Yeah, you need to. Be, you actually do need to be short to fit on submarines. That's mm -hmm. part of the thing. But so I like the idea of introducing a level of gradation here, where maybe the religious aspect is a sub. It's like it's a subcategory or a subgroup that has this, you know, ideation of submarines, right? Like not everyone believes that submarines are, you know, like the literal devil, but there's enough religious fervor to where there is a subfaction of people who absolutely believe that submarines are the devil. They don't even see it as people on those ship. They believe it's creatures on the ship kind of thing. Mm. Oh, that yeah. might be fun too. Yeah. 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 I think that makes sense. Cause usually you have a really vocal minority that drowns out everyone else. And even though mm -hmm. they may not be widely believed, they're still, they've done damage already. Like they put it, the idea of people's minds. So sure. at the back of their minds, they think something negative about the submarine. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Okay. I, I, I believe that's everyone's tenets. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Hmm. All right. So now we move on to the world building anchor where we, we already have kind of Polaris, the city, the floating city, which is like essentially the navigational star. Now let's see what else we make through this kind of, because whatever we make is going to be incredibly important to the setting. So let's grab my dice and roll some dice and see what happens. So the thing that we're going to be focusing on for the anchor is going to be the anchor for this setting is going to be a hero, which I think is really interesting, especially considering we're building like multitudinous factions here. Right. Uh, so the theme surrounding this hero, hopefully this will square it a little bit. Maybe we can get like heroic sacrifice or something is going to be mystery okay so we have a hero whose theme is mystery what are we thinking for this setting i guess we have to ask where where does the hero come from is he on a submarine is he in the base is he on a boat um, well one thing i would imagine because if we're creating multiple factions here i would mm -hmm. like and i would assume that this would be a hero to all factions not just mm. an individual one. So I think that we should start there with a fairly difficult premise and understand why this particular person is seen as fairly universally good. But where where is he? That's what I'm asking. Uh, see, in my mind, he's dead. Because oh, okay. he's, he's essentially like a hero whose legacy is the thing that holds this world together. But... I could be wrong. I'm open to suggestions, but that's where my brain immediately goes to. I could see it as uh, 
the way that it entered into a lot of this armistice where it's not all out war maybe was caused by this one person. That's a good idea. Also, Daniel, I recognize now uh, when you said, where is this hero? The theme is mystery. Maybe the hero is missing. Oh, okay. I like that. Mm-hmm. So he's missing and he was responsible for the armistice between um, various factions. I think that's a good starting point for sure. Yeah. Uh, so this person's name is, their first name is Red, last name October. And <laughs> <laughs> are, are they, um, are they regular um, crewmen? Are they one of those cybernetic children? I'm thinking a regular crew person mm-hmm. with like, I, I don't know why I have this in mind that this person's a scientist, not necessarily a diplomat, you know? Could they have been a, one of the children who actually survived childbirth since there's not very many, um, there's children just don't happen because people are infertile. Okay. I'm, okay. Okay. Or, so I have two thoughts um, relating to like the scientist route. One could be he was primarily responsible for um, the wind power, uh, harnessing that. Or alternatively, he had been working on fertility treatments that allowed for more population growth. That's Courtney. actually what I had in mind, Courtney. Yeah. That's, that's what exactly if, what I wanted to go with. Yes. Okay. What if she... Mm-hmm. Um, was working on herself and she's pregnant. Mm. Uh, okay, so here's what I want. Here's one of the things that I really want to explore because this is the thing that we've been talking a lot about recently, which is the implication, right? Uh, so the <laughs> implication with the infertility and this scientist hero becoming like essentially creating drugs or treatment that allow for fertility to happen holy shit, let's be real and talk about what that means. Because one, you're creating uh, you're creating eugenics at that point. And more mm-hmm. importantly, you're creating capitalist eugenics because it's no longer about who is, who is breeding because that's kind of a general thing. But it's like, who has enough money to successfully breed is what happens when we have this type of technology and this type of thing. That's one thing that I really wanted to like focus on because to me, I see that as a natural extension and a natural progression as something that could happen in this world. The only and thing yes, I'm not, it's I'm, fucking horrifying, I think, but yeah. The only thing I'm not, um, I'm so confused on is only the capitalism angle of this is because I don't really see in this world a very uh, coherent um, capitalist structure, I guess, because... I'm sure there's trade between these boats and such, but whatever we had as an apparatus for business is probably dissolved to some extent if this is like water mm-hmm. world. Um, and so what I was thinking about, what well, the images I called go to mind when I hear fertility treatments, I'm thinking like children of men, although that yeah. definitely yeah. had like, a, um, like they were trying to get it to a, an organization that could then continue the work. Um, there was still like capitalism at work. So I'm wondering like, what's the value then of the fertility treatment? Is it like, this is humanity's salvation or is it like you're saying, this is something that can be sold and then controlled in a nefarious way. So I guess it points to what's the theme here. Like, are we, 
are we taking we're in a post-apocalypse are we taking it towards an angle of like grimdark or are we going like hope punk like what direction is, well, is this going? i feel like it could even depend on faction um like how mm. they how they use the technology that was developed um maybe even like the that sort of oil rig polaris um station maybe that is more capitalistic in a way because it's been able mm. to kind of stay in one place and stay situated as this like mm. big hub um, but maybe the more um, nomadic groups are more communal in how they more work. More like maybe... sort of the Bene Gesserit mm-hmm. situation. Maybe, maybe the reason this hero is missing is because they understand the implication. Maybe they understand what's going to happen once they start selling, uh, you know, these, they start selling fertility as a product once you start commodifying it. You know what I mean? Or maybe they were working on Polaris and realized that there, mm. that area might not be the best place to release this technology because oh, of like that, that implication. Mm. So maybe that's why they left and oh, they fled on yeah. a submarine. Ooh. Oh, there you go. <laughs> nice. And, and not only that, but like, want that taboo. <laughs> their mission, their mission is benevolent because they're, they're trying to take that power away from centralized groups and to mm. democratize it again. Mm-hmm. You're trying to make it as it once was like in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there, that would point back to what you're saying, Rob, is if, if there's a fragment of the old um, wants to commoditize, like among the leadership who have manufactured this religion, perhaps this person who works for them in some capacity understands that and realizes that this cure to infertility, is bigger than, you know, the oil rig station Polaris it's for the sake of humanity. So it sounds like then we're going in the direction of like, bigger stakes, world saving, possible hope, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could see it as the problem with them is, especially with the communication being the way that it is, they wanted this treatment or this ability to be given to everyone simultaneously, because if one person were to get it, or one person were to hoard it, it would cause either a power imbalance. And also, right now with fertility being what it is, life is seen as more sacred as opposed to if it was just like putting people into vats and getting like mm-hmm. generation after generation, they know that if there's another big conflict, they might be completely wiped out. Yeah, that all makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, guys, I'm actually really excited. I feel like we've dug down and we found some really cool stuff here. I'm, I'm really, really excited to see where this uh, where this setting goes. I just love how we can like visualize some of this. Like I can visualize the Polaris station. I can visualize mm-hmm. docking at it and hearing all those voices like you guys were saying. I can visualize the scientists trying to sneak away and get into whatever exit port, <laughs> you know, like all of that I could see, which I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, regrettably, here is where we throw a monkey wrench into everything and we roll the twist for the setting. And I have to say, I'm actually kind of scared for this one because if it's something like, anyway, I'm just going to roll for the twist and we'll see what happens. All right. All right. And our twist is, it's a trap. Mm. Um, mm. There's but a lot. It's there's, fitting. <laughs> there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that we can do here with this idea. So let's keep that in mind yeah. as we roll into our next episode next week. So, uh, that'll do it for this episode of World Build with us. If you liked this 
podcast, go ahead and submit your own prompt. We want you to do this. This is how our podcast lives, breathes, and dies is with prompts submitted by users like you. So you can do that by going to worldbuildwithus.com, clicking on the submit prompt button and filling out all the information. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at Let's World Build. You can also join our Discord community with a link for that in the description. And if you re- I mean, if you really liked this, I mean, really, really liked this podcast, you could always give us money over on Patreon. And remember that we love you very much. We're going to get through this together until next week. Mm-hmm.